Good morning, Highland. Can you hear me okay? Yes? Good. You know, I'll, uh, uh, well, let, let me first say, it's, it's a pleasure to share with you again. It's a pleasure to be in a church where um, Jason values um, not being the one guy that says everything every Sunday. And he, he says it very well, and he's a great teacher, but um, one of the things I've appreciated is Jason has stepped up into the pastor role is the way he's um, uh, tried to build us up as elders around him uh, to support him. And that's what we want to do because we don't want to uh, burn Jason out. We want to uh, be ministering with him for years. It's a pleasure to share with you today. Um, and, and I will say that um, when Jason first asked me... Uh, to teach this morning, I was tempted to say no, but he was leaving town, so I didn't have a choice. Uh, you see, we're in the Good Question series this week, and this question in particular has had me off balance all week. Um, you know, I, maybe that, that was uh, God's little idea behind our sound problems, is just to keep us a little off balance, because um, sometimes he asks us questions, and they throw us a little bit. Christ's good questions to us aren't always easy, but they're good. They're important. Good questions can be hard, hard to hear about, hard to talk about, hard to understand. I grew up in Boone, and I ended up staying in Boone for college and went to Appalachian State. And I remember lots of late nights under the stars, getting out hiking, considering the meaning of life. Uh, Particularly when I was younger, uh, I asked lots of deep, what I thought, were deep questions. Uh, Looking back in my journal, I laugh a little bit. Some of those questions I've I've got as answered as I've um, grown in my faith. Some of those questions God has not answered. Some of those questions weren't important. I did lots of philosophizing about uh, how to deal with women, and so there are no answers to that. But God brought me a wonderful wife. Uh, who I'm, I'm thankful for very much. But really, I, I look back, and I had too much time on my hands. Now, my que- as a father of four young boys, my questions look a little different. Why did you hit your brother? Your food is right there. Why are you eating your napkin? Why is there yogurt on our chandelier? Why and how did you roll the doghouse down the hill? Why does one small Lego in the middle of the night hurt so bad? For young parents, you know what I'm talking about. Why won't you please, just please, I'll give you anything, stay in bed. And most recently, why is there a diaper in the backyard tree? (laughs) I got a lot of them. There are going to be a lot of reasons a question is hard, lots of reasons there may not be an easy answer. But as Jason mentioned last week, it's okay to ask hard questions here. You may or may not have had that experience in your church or family background, and if not, I'm very sorry. It's okay to ask hard questions. It's an important part of growing in our faith. If Christ is who he says he is, those questions can and should be asked. C.S. Lewis makes the argument in his book, Mere Christianity, that Christ is either Lord, Lyotic, or Lunar. It's okay to ask which one. It's okay to ask hard questions. But this series is about good questions, hard questions in a different sort of way. It's about the good questions that Jesus asks us. But first, let me say that who we are affects how we understand and and, and how we understand and derive meaning from what we hear. As we discuss the question posed by Jesus today, who you are 
how you hear things, how you understand, will affect what you hear. I'm not going to try to tell you to change or, or try to be super impartial because research tells us that that's not really possible. We are who we are, but we can be aware of it. Even better than that, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the counselor that Christ said he would send us, that speaks to us. So my encouragement to you today is listen to what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. Look past your own self, our human hearts, and to what the Spirit is saying. Who is speaking can also affect how we hear. I don't know if you noticed, but there's lots of um, media and news, and they may report on the same story 16 different ways, depending on who you hear it from or what, how it's shared on social media. But that is not the case here. When Christ asks us questions, we need to remember who he is. He is the son of God. God is the definition of truth, we believe. And he is perfect. He loves us. While we are changing and we can be double-minded, Christ is not. He is the same now and forever. And so what we hear from him will be in context of who he is. Scripture is the guide in all of this. It shows us who God is. It shows us who his son Jesus is. And it even tells us about ourselves. So we're going to look at Scripture today. As we look at the good questions Jesus asks, many of his best questions come from the Sermon on the Mount. We see Matthew and we see in Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke today. Last week, Jason introduced us to Jesus' question in Luke uh, 12.25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot even do this one simple thing, why do you worry about the rest? We looked at a few causes of worry and anxiety, where our treasures are, where our eyes are, and where our devotion is. When those, when our eyes, our treasure, our devotion is not on Jesus, anxiety comes and it causes us to worry when they're not in the right place. This week, we're looking at another question asked by Jesus uh, in the same uh, Sermon on the Mount a few chapters later. Here's a question starting in Luke 6, 46. Actually, there's a few questions earlier, excuse me. Luke 6, 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person, built on a, uh, is it like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruin. This is why I was a little off kilter today, uh, this week. It's a hard question. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? It's a good question, but it can be tough to hear. Uh, Becca sang the song, The Wise Man Builds His House Upon the Rock. But when we hear it this way, when we look at Scripture, the root of this little children's song runs deep. We plan out the sermons yearly and did not know the disaster that would strike Texas. But the, the storm, the hurricane. Uh, but I've been struck this week by the images of what it looks like to have houses and cities destroyed by a storm, people displaced. 
death, sickness, pain, destruction, hunger. It's messy. And yet the question that Jesus asks, why do you call on me when you don't do what I say? He compares it to building a house that will be a heap of ruin when the flood comes. Listening to his word and not doing what he says gives us, puts us in a place where we are vulnerable to storms. Let's look a little deeper. What does Lord, Lord say? Uh, Some might say it's crying for help. Some might say acknowledging authority. But when we look at the text, when we look at the Greek behind it, all it is is acknowledging lordship or sovereignty. Christ is Lord and King, and that's one of the core tenets of what we believe. And for the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, they knew what this meant. So the context is they had seen him perform miracles. They had heard his teaching. He had rocked their world in this same sermon by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit kind of flipping everything up on its head. And for the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, they knew what it, was, what it meant because they had chosen to follow him. If you've been a part of a church for any length of time, you may have heard this said in different ways. Why do you say you follow me, but don't actually follow me? Live like you mean it, practice what you preach, have your actions, follow your words. This is not the only place in Scripture with this concept. James phrases it differently. James 1, 22 through 25. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free... And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Let's pray. Father God, uh, this is a a bit of a tough question to hear because it calls us into action. And it strikes deep at the root of what um, I struggle with and many of us struggle with as Christ followers. How How do we do in a way that it builds our life upon you? How do we go beyond just hearing your word? And so, Father, I pray that you will um, guard our hearts with this message because your word is truth and your word is perfect. And, Father, I pray that you will guard our hearts and and, uh, that your Holy Spirit will speak to every person here as we are trying to understand what this question that you've asked means for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So take a moment and reflect on this. Just a moment. What's your instinct when you hear this, do what it says? Listen to the word and do what it says. Do you hear this good question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, as an indictment? Or perhaps you feel pretty good because you measure up and you're typically good at following the rules. We tend to jump straight to our own rule-keeping when we read this passage. But if we dig a little deeper, we'll see there's something that Jesus is calling us to. Let me also say it's really important to, to see what is not here as well. It does not say, if you want your sins forgiving, do what I say. John, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's about faith. 
Doing does not equal saving. We cannot save ourselves. Earlier in Luke, we see that when men carrying a paralyzed man tried to come to Jesus, he it literally says, he saw their faith and said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. He looked at them. He saw their faith, not their actions, their faith. They saw that they believed he could be healed. And they said, young man, he said, young man, your sins are forgiven. And based on that, the Pharisees then said, who can forgive sins? And he said, well, I'll show you. Young man, stand up and walk. He can do both. Let me be very clear here. Forgiveness, reconciliation with God the Father does not come from what we do. It is about what Christ did. He died on the cross that we might be saved. We know this, we hear this, but do we live this way? Do we, do you in your heart live in such a way that what you do will not save you? What you do will not make God love you anymore. It is Christ alone who saves us from the death and destruction that comes from our sins. What you do will not make God love you anymore. So then what's the value of this question? Why does he ask the question? If it doesn't save us, what's the point? If, Christ, if, Christ Jesus, if Jesus Christ saves us from our sins and has reconciled us to God for true life for now and all eternity, if we believe that, which is indicated by saying, Lord, Lord, he is simply asking, if I have saved you, if you've listened to me, will you build your life my way? Will you build your life on the rock? We see this in the parable he tells in verse 48. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. We see here in verse 48 that this is actually a promise section. I know that do what he says, we go straight to a command. Why do you not do what I say? But this is actually about his promise to us. If we take verse 46, the question alone, we may hear a command but Christ paints a picture in verse, verse 48 that gives us a promise of life built on solid rock, able to stand against the storms of this life. So as we examine this good question, my question to you is, do you take God's commands more seriously than his promises? Do you take God's commands more seriously than his promises? And as I examine my own life, I found that I do sometimes. Sometimes I hear, Lord, Lord, okay, I got to do, but there's a promise here. There's a reason that he says this, because a life built on his rock will weather the storms. It's sometimes easier to listen to the command rather than a promise. Let's read earlier in Luke 6. <laughs> you may be familiar with this. Luke six thirty-seven. do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it'll all come back on you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. 
If you walk out on the street to anybody who's had any, um, any experience with, with church, maybe just at an arm's length, or maybe somebody who's never been to church, they may be familiar with this judge not lest you be judged. Um, we, we tend to go straight to the command. But how many people are familiar with your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap? See, God's promises go in hand in hand with his commands. But hold on to his promises. Take them seriously. Because that's what changes our hearts. That's what changes our lives. And that's how we root ourselves. That's how we build ourselves on the rock. Root ourselves deeply in him. What would it mean to give in my life in such a way where I really believed that the amount I give will determine the amount I give back? Because he will pour it out into my lap. There are other promises we see throughout Scripture. Promises around healing. Promises around um, life built, lived fully. But the promise behind this good question is that we would have a life built on a solid foundation able to weather storms. So what does it look like? How do we do this? What does it look like to look past rule-keeping and to move into Jesus' teaching practically? The text says that a man who hears Jesus' words and does what he says is like a man who builds on the rock. And so here's one thing I want to leave you with, and we're going to watch a bit of a longer video because I think it's important. There are two pieces to this. If you look in the text, Christ says, a man who listens to my teaching and does what it says builds his house on the rock. So what does it mean to listen? How do we listen today? I'm going to give you a picture. You may have seen this. It's a bit of a longer video, but it's uh, valuable. So listen to the words. to think about it. Pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me everywhere I go, read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, what do we see? We see God himself in this book. We meet him here or we don't meet him, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. That's not always what we see and feel when we open our Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look, and all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. But it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world the lasting world, the better world. 
And through this window shines a divine light that changes everything around us. We all know that the road to knowing God is not easy. Discipline and resolve are important, but they can carry you only so far. A few days, a week, maybe a month. For the long run, we need something stronger, more compelling than discipline and resolve. There are too many traps along the path, too many hurdles. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, and life when we see that leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window. The boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, leave it shut, and move on. We stay in bed, and we miss the miracle. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, loves to speak light into hearts and minds. God wrote a book, and with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls. He frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged, guides the confused. He empowers us to make our lives count for his cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words, his words. So will I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go? How else will I know Him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy Him forever? Yes, I'll spend the rest of my life looking out of this window, watching, waiting for another sight of Him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God. You know, the context of this, when Jesus says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Let me tell you what it is like when somebody listens to me and does what I say. The context is he has hundreds or actually thousands of people sitting in front of him, listening to the teaching, listening to the teaching of the Son of God that has persisted through millennia. And so he says to those people that are in front of them, of him, do what I say. But the reason I showed this is because we can't, as, as Christ followers who walk every day, as we go about our lives, we can't jump straight to the doing. We have to listen first. Let me show you what it is like to listen to what I say and then do it 
or to listen to my teachings and then do it, Jesus says. That's it. We listen to his word. We listen to his teaching by reading our Bible. Do you want to build your life on the rock? Read your Bible. Pray. We cannot hear him unless we take the time to listen. And the reason I call this out again is because the context was Jesus was talking to the crowds that were already listening. But if we are not already listening, we cannot do what he says. And let me put in context as well what I mean by already listening. It's very important to gather together as other believers here on Sunday morning in our reach groups, but it's not enough. That cannot be the only time we listen to him. We cannot listen to him for 2% of our week. If the only time that you take the time to listen to Jesus through the words of his scripture is when you walk through those doors or maybe when you meet in your reach group, you will not be successful in building your life on the rock. You may have had that experience where everything seems to get in the way of uh, sitting down and reading your Bible. The kids are screaming, pipe bursts, whatever it might be. Um, That's no accident because listening to his teaching is the first step. It's the first half of building our life on the rock as we see in verse 47. This is a picture of what it means to listen to God's word. So that's the first step, listening. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say is the second step. So I'm going to share with you two pictures of doing. And I really struggled this week because it carries with it so much um, rule-based following. And many of you may have grown up in places where it was more important to behave well and follow the rules than it was to love Jesus. I'm going to compare and contrast two internet, internet sensation videos. The first one is going to show you what it does not mean when we say doing. My greatest concern, dare I say fear, is that you will walk out of here and all you hear in your head is do, 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 telling yourself this first picture. You should get to the point where anyone else would quit, and you're not going to stop there. No, what are you waiting for? Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. I bring this up because when we read the scripture and we hear something like do what it says, this is where we go in our heads. Just do it. Do not walk out of here thinking that this is about just doing it. That sells a lot of great shoes. But that's not what Jesus is here to say. Just stop quitting and do it. Um, don't raise your hand, but be honest. How many of you many times approach the promises or the commands of God this way? Let me show you the other picture, another internet sensation. (laughs) 
This is Chris Norton, a football player that was not really given much of a chance to walk again after an injury. It's different, right? Can you imagine if he walked up on stage and rather than his girlfriend, it, was, it became his fiance, standing there holding him as he walked across? It was Shia LaBeouf standing there. And he said, just do it. Yet in our walk with Christ, many times, that's how we hear Christ. Christ is standing there. We're here. Just do it. That is not the picture of Jesus. Let me be really clear. If this approach, if you walk out of here and you say, okay, my answer to the hard question of just doing what he says is like the first video... You are building your house upon the sand. And it will fall. It may take weeks. It may take months. It may take years. But when the storm comes, your foundation will fall. Francis Chan says it this way. Early on in my Christian journey, I was focused only on running from, away from sin. I believe it was good and right, but not complete. I was la- it was later that I discovered the truth of Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. God calls us not only to run away from temptation, but run towards Him. He promises us that when we are walking by the Spirit, we will not gratify the flesh. And this is Francis Chan still. As I have followed God's Spirit into meaningful ministry, it has been amazing to see the craving for sin diminish. The thrill of the Holy Spirit manifesting himself through me to bless others fills me thoroughly, crowding out sinful desires that might otherwise have had room to grow. So a couple of pictures and a testimony from Francis Chan on doing. But here's the good news. Let's go back to the scripture. John fifteen five. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, with the promises. Cut off from Christ, we can do nothing. This is why listening to his teaching, listening to the Lord, is first and foremost the most important part of building our life on the rock. And what does a life built on the solid foundation look like? I'm going to share with you a, a picture of, of, um, of what I found in my life, of how I started to maybe get this a little bit. It's a picture I grappled with early in my life. First off, I have a confession. I'm a millennial. Just barely, and only according to some studies, uh, but I am. As a millennial, I have been told that I am special. I know I know that I am special because I grew up during the dawn of participation trophies. I'm not sure where it developed, but at some point in my life, I began to believe I was special and important and could do something great with my life. Just do it. There was a man born in rural Appalachia in the 1930s. He was the youngest of six. He used to say that the Great Depression hung on in the Appalachian Mountains for decades after the rest of the country recovered. His father couldn't provide for the family, so one day he left and moved across the country, never to be seen or heard of from again. The oldest of six went off to fight the Second Great War. 
never to return, buried at Normandy. This man never knew his father and barely knew his oldest brother, who became a father figure but was killed in World War II. He was raised by his oldest sisters in poverty as his mother fell ill and eventually passed away when he was in his late teens. If, if ever there was a reason for a less than successful life, he had it. Yet this man, when he died, had a life that was capped off by the phrase, great is thy faithfulness. He was one of my grandfathers, uh, both of which were very important in my life and showing me what a life built on a solid foundation looks like. My grandfather dropped out of school in sixth grade and began smoking around the same time. When I was born, my mom, who had been, who understood the dangers of smoking, said that if he ever wanted us to visit, he needed to quit smoking. And I was the first grandchild, so there was a lot to that. And let me pause and just say this is not about smoking, not what it's about. It's not a healthy habit, but that's not my point. My grandfather told me that when I was born, he heard from my mom and he, he tried to quit. He tried and tried multiple times. But he would throw his cigarettes away in the morning, and by lunch, he'd have to go buy another one. He couldn't take it, and he couldn't kick the addiction. One day, he came to the realization that he needed to smoke more than he needed anything else in his life, including God, which made him try harder. He tried, and he tried to kick it, to put God first, to break the addictions. He read, he prayed, but each time, he ended up giving in, so he finally gave up. He said one morning, and and this is what he told me. He said one morning, God, I can't do this. I need to smoke more than I need you. If you want me to stop, you're going to have to do it. I can't anymore. He always carried around a pack of um, cigarettes in his shirt pocket. pocket. That day he carried them around until lunch and then threw them away. He came home and gave his other packs to his wife and said, I don't need them anymore. And he never had a craving again. His doing looked a little different. But it was that story that helped me understand what it means to start to build your life on the rock. Psalm 50, 15. Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue, rescue you, and you will give me glory. He was simply doing an act of faith, calling on the Lord in trouble as he had heard from Scripture. I look back on his life, And see that this was how he built his life, in the very little ways, very small acts of faith. And he built a foundation for his family, his children, and his grandchildren. (laughs) It affected me as a millennial. But it helped me get through my millennial head that a successful life, a great life, could simply be a life built on a firm foundation, simple, by listening to the words of Jesus and doing what he says. Little acts of faith. And when he died, I got to see all the people that he had touched because he built his, his, uh, his life on a rock. The promises of God throughout Scripture give us every opportunity to respond in action through faith. As we listen to Jesus' words and do what he says, walk by the Spirit according to his teaching, We slowly build our foundation on solid ground, on a rock. We build our houses, we build our lives that will withstand the storm. This foundation, though, is not just for us. The foundation we build can affect generations for our children and our families. Likewise, as a church, we as Highland have a choice in how we build our foundation. 
We listen to the words of Jesus and we do what he says. As we look towards launch Sunday, as we're calling it, September 17th, this has come out of a desire and a conviction in our life of reading the words that that he has called us to reach those around us. It is the Great Commission. Our response, therefore, is to do what he says. And, And it's more than just renaming the names of our gel groups. That's why we're trying to launch them as reach groups. We're really trying as a church to do what he says and to build our lives on the rock together. So will you trust him? When things are hard, we have a tendency to look up, and that's good. He is our savior. In the middle of the storm, we look up. Even when I don't understand, even then I will say, you are my God, and I'll trust you with every breath I take. But will you trust him enough so that every moment when it's good, as you are building your life before the storm, you're building it on the rock. We do as we said, as he says, and we trust him by, by living in that total happiness, more we could imagine, comes from actively following him. Let me tie this to last week, and then we'll be done. Last week, Christ's question was, why do you worry? And we heard that when we treasure things of this world, what we may eat, what we may wear, instead of treasuring Jesus, we worry. So how do we treasure him? We listen to his teaching and we do what it says. And by treasuring him in this way, we build our life on the rock that will withstand the storms of this world. It is a promise. This is not a maybe. This is a promise that listening to the word, listening to his teaching and doing what it says builds a life on solid rock that will withstand the storms. It doesn't say there won't be storms. It doesn't say there won't be heartache. It doesn't say there won't be pain. But you will weather the storm well. As we close, we're going to enter a time of communion. There will be a plate and um, there will be people around the room holding the, uh, the bread and the juice. We will remember that it is Christ who died on the cross for our sins by taking the bread, which represents his body, and dipping it in the juice, which represents his blood. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are welcome to join us as we remember his death because this is what saves us. This is what has reconciled us to God. If this is all new to you and you want to talk more, I'll be down here to the right and I'd love to talk to you. If you just want to pray with somebody, there will be some gel leaders standing over here to my left as well. Let's pray. Father God, you are good, and you are great, and you are worthy to be praised. And Lord, I just, I just pray that we would not leave here um, bitter, that we would not leave here dejected, but Father, that we would leave here empowered by your promises. You have given us your words to listen to, and you've called us to go do them, not in the big millennial uh, success, I am great sort of ways, but Father, in the little small, building our lives sort of way on you. And Father, just like Chris Norton needed help walking across the stage, uh, we need your help to do this. You are the vine, we are the branches. And so Father, may we remain in you that we may bear much fruit. May we not be cut off and wither and die apart from the vine. 
Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your word, your teaching. And may you be glorified in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.